0: Welcome to the Able Speaks podcast, where we speak to commonly asked questions by parents who have received a life-limiting diagnosis for their child. We're Daniel and Kelly Crawford, and we're glad that you've joined us. Okay, welcome, friends, back to the Able Speaks podcast. We're joined by a special friend of ours who uh, was our pastor at Watermark Church for 22 years and remains just a close friend and confidant of ours. Uh, we're joined by Todd Wagner. Today, we are going to jump into a, uh, a medical matter, and we're going to speak to the question, um, what is the truth about prenatal testing? Is, is prenatal genetic testing reliable? And so, Kelly, I'll kick it straight over to you, and you can share a little bit about our experience with that in our first pregnancy with Abel.
1: Yeah. So we decided to do the blood test at 10 weeks um, because we wanted to know gender. And we knew that they would be testing for abnormalities, but it really was not something that was like on our radar that we had thought about process. We just wanted to know the gender of our baby because we have no patience. Um, and so we went ahead and, um, did the blood work. And a couple weeks later, I got a call from our OB and she said, you guys are having a little boy, but, um, his blood work came back high risk for trisomy 18. And I said, okay, can you tell me what that means? And she said, all I know is it's incompatible with life and um i said okay how accurate are the tests and she said i actually don't know how the test works and i said well who does <laughs> and she said well i guess you could call the lab who runs the blood work and so we ended up that's what we ended up doing it took about 5 days to get a hold of the lab and get an understanding of how the test worked and ultimately we found out that um they have a high false positive rate. So um, that was really all that the lab even really told us. And so um, after that, we went to a maternal fetal medicine specialist and um, saw a genetic counselor who then told us, hey, based on your age, your health, all of those things, you have a 10% chance that your baby has trisomy 18 And then um, about 10 minutes later, we went in to see the specialist and he said, I'm 99% sure your son has trisomy 18.
2: Uh, How many weeks were you when when the person said they were 99% sure?
1: So I was about between 13 and 14 weeks. Um, And so he said, I'm 99% sure based on what I see on ultrasound, your son has trisomy 18 and you guys can terminate the pregnancy and try again for a better one. Oh, Wow, is what he boy, said. the
2: words, and I'm sure you know those words. One of oh, the yeah. things I know for a fact that uh, most OBG, you know, OBGNs and frankly pastors and family members mm-hmm. and friends don't realize is how much words that we say in moments like that yes. are burned into the mother's and the father's ears. Yeah. yes. And so repeat sure. what you just heard him say, a better.
1: Yeah, he said, you can try again for a better one. was the language that he used. Um, And so, you know, it's such a roller coaster. And we hear a lot of parents have a very similar story to ours um, in terms of getting the diagnosis, OB is not really having a good understanding of how the testing works, the genetic counseling piece. um, Usually, if you're a fairly healthy in your 20s or 30s, Mother, they're going to tell you that your risk is very low from a genetic counselor standpoint. And then you go in a few minutes later to the MFM and they're telling you 99% likelihood. So it is just a roller coaster ride. Um, It's a
0: sequence that has come up on so many conversations as we're talking to families and they're like, and it instantly triggers this like everybody on the call is like, yes, what was why, what was with that? Why did they do it in that way? And it's just, you're up, you're down and you're, uh, what is, what is real, what is concrete and definitive and what is, Hey, to the best of our ability, here's what we think, here's what we see. And so it's a topic that, uh, Todd, we have talked about, texted about Mm -hmm. in different capacities. And I know you've tracked with, and so, um, any other thoughts? Yeah. Well, first of all, I
2: I just want to insert this right here. I mean, medical professionals, call what they do a practice, right? They're practicing doing the best they can to care for people as they go through health problems. And so when somebody says, you can try for a better one, again, let me just extend some grace because it could be just a mistake with the words, but it gets to the heart of what we're talking about here. Okay. Because when you talk about prenatal testing and, and what the main reason is that that it is typically uh, done, well, first of all, it's it's a profitable industry. Okay. And so they, the companies that come up with these tests, that they can tell you at, you said 10 weeks, they drew some blood from you. Yep. And then they told you, uh, you know, I was actually reading an article that came even from the New York Times, which is not exactly a bastion of conservative thought. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and so they, they did an expose uh, on prenatal testing. And, and they just talked about how some of these companies, and specifically Quest Diagnostics and Myriad Genetics, you know they use phrases in their material. It says totally with total confidence, clear answers, information you can trust, and you can't trust it. Okay, this New York Times article said that um, about eighty-five percent of the time uh, that the, the, the screenings are wrong. Now, did you hear that eighty-five percent of the time there's some false positive, and it varies depending on what the specific diagnosis was, whether it's Down or whether it's uh, trisomy or whether it's you know I think the Prader-Willi syndrome. It's wrong 90% of the time. Okay. And especially early on in your pregnancy. I, I would just say, as you get some testing, and, and it was sold to you under the uh, auspices of knowing the gender.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, that I think is like an interesting point to me. And I actually take issue with the test um, because I think it is used in a manipulative way to get. Parents By coupling the genetic testing with the gender, I think they are um, the medical communities furthering an agenda of like we want parents to be able to know as early as possible about these abnormalities so that they can make a decision where um, you can't get a gender test done by blood work at 10 weeks unless you will do it with genetic testing. So you can't separate, you like, hey, we separate just went on the gender. Right.
2: Yeah, and one of the first things to do, I think, you know, Kelly, you can speak to this maybe more than I can, is, is I would ask my medical provider, hey, if I take this test, what are you going to advise me to do? Right? What's your perspective on life? And just as a parent listening to this, first of all, um, you need to know that the tests are not always uh, what they think they are. Again, the New England Journal of Medicine, this now is, is a few years old, uh, but back in the the and uh, they found that about half of the positive Down syndrome screenings, half of those turned out to be false, right? In in our case with Abel, with trisomy 18, uh, 60% of them were false. Kelly, you've been in a room with people who had positive diagnosis based on this prenatal testing.
1: Yeah, we um, supported a mom who did the prenatal testing um, and it came back as positive for her trisomy, that her son had trisomy 18 and her medical provider um, from that point forward said that they would not provide care and that she could come in when she went into labor. So that was kind of the options that were given to her. We discussed with her that she had other options, but I think she was just scared and um, wasn't able to really process all the things that were happening. And so she did not try to get a second opinion um, or get additional ultrasound's done um, after that point. And so she asked me to be present for the birth and um, the baby was born. And um, I remember the NICU doctor looked at me and said, do you think he has trisomy 18? And I said, no. Um, And I said, maybe we should talk about this outside of the room, not in the presence of the parents. Um, And so it was a very... um,
2: so the child was born completely healthy. Completely healthy. healthy yeah.
1: ha- did not have an abnormality. And, you know, the medical, I think it was a testament to me that, as you were saying, medical professionals are doing the best they can with the information that they have. But in that room of medical providers, I had seen more children with trisomy 18 than they had. Yeah. And so they didn't even know what to look for outside of the womb, much less what are we doing and looking for inside of the womb. And so um, it was a really eye-opening experience for me in terms of probably how frequently parents do either um, choose to terminate just based on those test results because the person administering the test doesn't even actually know how the test works
2: works. Yeah. Or because they have, certainly because they have a worldview, because here's the thing is, so 60% of the tests related to trisomy 18 are, are false positives. That means 40% aren't. Right. Okay. And so it's almost like what you would say is, do you think that child has trisomy 18? And it's like, it's not going to matter whether we're going to love him or her. Yeah. Okay. And, and so I think like with down, a down diagnosis, uh, 50% are wrong. But 70% of the people that get a diagnosis, of which half are wrong, terminate that child. Okay, And so not only is it tragic that 70% of the parents uh, terminate their child based on 50% maybe improper data, it's even more terrible that our culture has decided that people with quote-unquote disabilities are better off dead. Uh, one of the things to say just about prenatal testing is not just that it's unreliable. I would ask, what do you want me to do based on a true positive if we knew it was true? And if it's just to help prepare me, okay. But if it's to help induce me to a certain behavior that I could, I don't ever want to justify or to think that my child is somehow less valuable that's not going to be our perspective. And if it's going to change your standard of care for me, then that's good that we have that conversation right now, because I want that child cared for in every way it should be, as long as God gives us a chance to care for it.
0: One of the more encouraging pieces of getting to do what we do in our niche is getting to connect with medical providers who are amazing heroes uh, that make all the difference in the world for their patients. When they take that alternative approach, which is I'm going to value and dignify and honor uh, your child's life. And so I feel like in these conversations, what is unfortunately a majority, um, I would venture to say, of doctors who maybe uh, are more like what Kelly shared at the beginning with their worldview than what I just described in that moment, um, they're out there. And that's something we've become just crazy passionate about is if you don't have a doctor, a provider, a medical team uh, that affirms and values and encourages you on this journey, um, they're out there. And so let us help you. If you have a final thoughts, jump in. But that's going to be a perfect segue, I think, to talk more in this next episode of just getting into that headspace of, okay, I've gotten the news. It looks like it is true. Yeah. And now what?
1: Yeah. I would say my last thought, um, in all things – as a ministry, we, um, outside of choosing to um, terminate a pregnancy, with the, the decisions that parents are trying to make who uh, get a diagnosis like this, we always try to take a non-biased approach. Our goal is to educate you and inform you so that you can make the best decision for your family. And for us, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into when we chose to do genetic testing. Um, I will say, uh, based on my personality and just the way – that the Lord has created me, it really was a gift for me to know early on in the pregnancy that um, Abel's life might be shorter than we had anticipated. Because it really, um, I think I celebrated his life and enjoyed his his life in the womb in a way that I would not have had I not known. Um, and so we we say that you know for us it was a gift um, to know early. But with that being said we had two additional children and chose not to um, do genetic testing. Yeah. So.
0: so that's just where we would kind of land this episode in, as a concluding thought is if you decide to move forward and, and do the blood work and do the genetic testing and you want to find out gender, then, then God bless you. And I would say move forward with your eyes open knowing what do these results definitively tell me and then what is not definitive and so know how the test works know what's true, know what's untrue. And, uh, and
1: then ultimately, um, ultimately talk to your provider, like Todd said, in terms of knowing what kind of counsel they're going to give you before you even enter into, um, the test.
0: Hey friends, thanks for listening in. We hope this content has been helpful At Able Speaks, we exist to support families who have chosen to carry a child with a life-limiting diagnosis. And we want you to know that the foundation of that support is rooted in relationships. And so if you are a parent in this circumstance, then by all means, continue listening in. But we'd really encourage you to reach out by sending an email to support at ablespeaks.org. Again, our heartfelt prayer is that this episode has served you in some way and that we might have the opportunity to serve you further in the future. The Able Speaks podcast is produced, mixed, and edited by the team at Sound of a Rose.